Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. Not only are you evaluated on your work quality, but you're also evaluated on your ability to generate business. Really, what the law firms are most interested in for a partner-level attorney is your business. You need to have limits and you need to have personal limits. Are there any particular stages in a lawyer's career that are associated with higher levels of depression and anxiety? That's a good question. I think that it's almost self-selective. So for the most part, you know, people that can't stand um, a lot of the stuff younger in their career, when they're younger in their career, a lot of it's very common for people to go to law school and never practice because they just get a sense of what it's like. And a lot of times when they say they don't want that life, what they're saying is they don't like want that lack of connection. So people will bail out during law school. I saw, I had a funny thing happen in my section one year, in the first year of law school, where this guy was, I don't know, like three months in, and or a couple months in, I don't know what it was. And the professor said something like, the head of our section, he said, if you guys aren't happy here and doing this kind of work, and you don't think you're going to be happy, now's the time to leave. And the guy closed his books walked out of the classroom and was never seen again. And I knew him. I mean, it was pretty funny. But so people leave at all different times. But I think as an associate, I think that this depression and anxiety is probably more common than it is. And maybe older attorneys that have self-selected in as opposed to out. I mean, a partner is very stressful too, because not only are you evaluated on your work quality, but you're also evaluated on your ability to generate business and enough business and collect enough money and all that sort of thing. That can be a real difficult thing for a lot of people because you're putting yourself in a bad position there. That it just depends on the person. But I would say that a lot of people that where their personality doesn't jive with that, they self-select out. And if it doesn't, then you get what you have and may not be as happy as you'd like. Okay, so this next question is are there any systematic changes that can be implemented within the legal profession to better support the mental health of lawyers? I don't know. I think that things are changing on their own. Because if you look at this whole kind of thing that's developed over the past several years of law firms and companies and being more and more woke, meaning supporting different types of people, supporting people of different backgrounds, supporting people different with different their psychologies and trying to feel, make people feel inclusive, of emphasizing aspects of work that, that partic- you know, were often punished. I think society doing it on its own. Obviously, some things that are very conservative will become less conservative. Some things that are very woke will probably become less woke. But there's some sort of balance that's happening in society as it is. And you have countries that are, the UK is very similar, but certainly in other countries of the world, things are not the same as they are in the US and with socialism and things. And so I think the things seem to be moving in that direction. So I think that things will a lot of change will change in response to society's demand. What society supports and values can change. But the big thing is from a business standpoint, law firms really don't have a ton of incentive to change because this psychology of an attorney is actually necessary to provide good service. And to, to clients and the psychology of, of the largest or the business side of the largest law firms requires things like lots of hours and a, and a process of eliminating people that don't fit in with that psychology. 
that's just there. And I don't know how you can change that. You can put less hours in, you can give people maternity leave and more maternity leave and time off. You can you can do all sorts of things. You can have part-time partner-tracked positions and and there's just a lot to it that you can do. And law firms are doing it. And even some major law firms have been allowing people to self-select the number of hours they'll work and then still putting them on partnership tracks. There are systematic changes happening that I think that, that are working a lot for a lot of firms. The firms with a non-attribution model for who brings in and gets credit for clients generally have better cultures with less depression and anxiety among attorneys. Interesting. Maybe. That's a good point. A lot of firms have an attribution model where anyone who's ever known the client or met with a client or talked to the client, the potential client, gets attribution credit. So you could theoretically have talked to someone 10 or 15 years ago and then someone else brings that client in and the person that talked to them 10 or 15 years ago or had a relationship with them gets credit. So a lot of firms operate that way. The, there's what's called the lockstep method of compensation that was very common in UK firms. I admit it does exist in some large US firms right now, but certainly not as many as you would think. And, and that particular model basically says that you are the longer you practice law, the more your salary increases. So the longer you're a partner, junior partners receive one salary, senior partners receive another. But if a junior partner brings in work, it's, they don't necessarily get credit for it. It helps the firm. And so everybody cooperates. Does that create more happiness and less vulnerability? I think it may. And I don't know. I don't have anything that proves that. But the reason that can be helpful to the firm is because, and to people in it, is because they don't feel the same stress as partners to compete with each other and they can share information. And so that does break down some of that vulnerability and makes people feel that once they become a partner, they're not going to lose their job for not having business, which happens. It's very common in major firms that when somebody becomes a partner, they don't bring in business. They often make the non-equity partner first. They either always stay a non-equity partner, they're made counsel, or they eventually are given a little runway to get business. And if they don't, they lose their job. And that, that can be scary. That's a form of not being vulnerable, whereas you would have with a non-attribution model, you would probably have better cultures and less depression. Another thing that I bring up a lot on these meetings, and I just want to bring it up again, is attorneys that join firms in smaller markets where there's not a lot of attorneys. And there's, and even to some extent, when I say smaller markets, I don't know, market with 25,000, 50,000 people. But attorneys that join these sorts of firms are often have a, a lot more career stability at those firms. They, I was talking to a, an attorney in a market of South Carolina not too long ago, and uh, which wasn't a huge legal market. And this attorney was telling me that they all went out to their p- kids all worked in the same or were in the same sports leagues and things. And they all went to this, they all had the same club that they went to and they socialized. There wasn't any, a lot of attrition in the firm. And also the attorneys there were, I don't know, that they tended their wives socialized and and all that sort of stuff. So I think that can be a real important point just to consider in terms of how that stuff works in a lot of lar- in a lot of smaller markets. And what I've noticed is if you join a firm in a smaller market and you often are there your entire career, the reason I think is because there's not a lot of options for you to move. 
the the firms in the market all know each other and work together on a consistent basis, so they don't want to steal people from each other. They're more cooperative. The and then there's a real pressure to make things work for to keep the attorney there to provide support for them where there might not be in other firms that that don't have as many attorneys to choose from, or where they're just a group and they're all together. So you have more of the the tribal aspect that I talked about earlier, you know, where that might not have existed, may not exist in a lot of larger markets. So it's not just the larger firms, it's also the larger markets where that happens. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. Okay. This is another good question. Have you observed any differences in rates of depression and anxiety? between lawyers working in different areas of law. For example, litigation, corporate law, and family law. Yes, I think that's that's actually probably a good question. I think that a lot of this anxiety, a lot of it is in litigation or litigation-related disciplines. The reason for that is an attorney that's doing litigation uh, has all these people trying to watch what to screw up. So if you're an attorney in a law firm, say you're an associate, your boss is going to be this associate more senior than you, then it's also going to be, and it could be several of them. Your boss will also be partners, and it could be several of them. So you may have be working on 15 cases. So that's 15 different mm-hmm. or 30 different or whatever senior associates that are your boss and watching for you to screw up. You also have your other associates you're working with that if you screw up, will bring it to other people's attention. Uh, you also have, you have the partners that are watching you, waiting for you to screw up. And then you have the court that's willing to point out the things you've done wrong if you screw up. Then you have the client who's willing to you know, get on you if you screw up. So that's a lot of people. Think about that. That's a lot of people uh, waiting for you to screw up. And that's very stressful. Now, that certainly exists in other practice areas. It could exist in, it exists in corporate law where you have the same sort of thing, but not the court, but you also have the client. It can also exist in family law. One of the things that's interesting about family laws, uh, that can be tremendously stressful because uh, you're really seeing the worst side of people. But at the same time, family law attorneys, a lot of what they do is connecting with their client, listening, taking counseling, and all that sort of thing. So that's actually a very nice aspect of it. And it may lead to fewer issues. I don't know. And then you have a lot of transactional practice areas, I think, that where you see less of that practice areas where, where I would say like ERISA and all these different practice areas that are, that are more transactional in nature. Many times there's less stress, patent law, things, I don't know, but in a lot of them, sometimes there's not as much stress. I would say also as a general rule, a lot of the consumer-facing practice areas, so you have family law, you have, I don't know, trust in estates, you have personal injury plaintiffs, you have even insurance defense to some extent, because you're really defending companies against people. And But a lot of the consumer-facing practice areas, people really and, and are, I think, more ha- happier. The reason for that is, is trust in the states and ERISA 
trust in states is a little bit of a different one, but a lot of the consumer-facing practice areas, because the work has to be done so quickly, because the clients aren't paying for it, aren't willing to pay, there's less emphasis on this complete vulnerability. The work quality doesn't have to be uh, as perfect. Attorneys aren't necessarily competing with each other as much. And the firms are smaller and aren't able to, I don't have all these conditions associated with what makes you a good and bad attorney. It's just much different. And that requires less stress. And also when you're in a consumer facing practice area, an important thing to consider is you're pretty much working directly with a client. That's a form of connection. And, and so that creates a different attorney than someone that's actually removed from the work. That's even more alienating when you're one of like several people working on behalf of a client, that can make you feel quite alienated. There's that as well. It says in-house lawyers. This is a good one. It says in-house lawyers aren't under the same sort of pressure to show them about bills. Yes, of course they are. But it depends on the company that they're working with. And you have two types of people to practice law. There are those that get ahead uh, on the quality of their work. And, and then there are those, um, those who get ahead with politics and being very good at that. One of the things that's interesting about in-house stuff is in a law firm, they, the emphasis really is just on the quality, the amount, and, and how much work uh, you're actually doing. And then to a lesser extent, probably on politics, because the work is more emphasized and, and the hours and that sort of thing. In-house, what's interesting is that, that you certainly are doing work as well, but things like your ability to find good outside counsel, your ability to form a good relationship with the executive team of the firm and give them the impression you're on their, you have their back, all these sorts of things are exceptionally important in an in-house position. People that are polit- political by nature tend to do a much better job connecting with others and getting their points across in a subtle way. And I think to a great extent that that is, you know, people that go in house, if they're good at that, are able to connect more. And I also think that people that go to in house positions, as a general rule, are able to do politics better than they may have been in a law firm. And politics by nature is your ability to connect with and influence people. Whereas a law firm, certainly that's important, but it's more about the quality of work in most firms. Now, Law firms definitely have people in them that are political. Most of your, there's always going to be different executive committees and things inside of law firms. And in order to show their value, certain people will try to do that. And a lot of times the people that are doing that do not offer as much value to the firm in terms of the work, the quality, the clients, but they offer value in terms of their political ability to influence aspects of the firm and people in it. So in-house lawyers, of course, are under that. The difference between in-house lawyers and law firm lawyers is that what's expected at in-house jobs in terms of the quality of the work and in terms of the political ability is all over the map. A law firm knows what an attorney from another big firm, they know that their emphasis there is probably on the quality of their work. And so they're happy to hire other attorneys from other law firms But when they interview people for in-house jobs that are coming from in-house, they realize that the quality of work probably was less important than the politics. And in addition to the quality of work being less than the politics, that maybe the attorney's skills have been changed from work to politics. And it's not always the case, but that's their experience with a lot of in-house lawyers that go in-house. A lot of in-house lawyers that come from law firms. And so, they, they don't want that. I mean, bringing someone in that's very good politically 
doesn't always make the law firm money. And that's what they're concerned about. And they don't know what the quality of the work means at an in-house job because there's so many companies and they just don't know. Whereas they know what that means when they're talking to you know attorneys from other law firms. These are great questions. Thank you. Let's see here. This person says, thank you for this question. I have a genteel, kind, and nice personality, which has resulted from my overcoming from overcoming countless major difficulties. I've always excelled academically as well. I've used this personality to develop millions of dollars in new business because I easily connect with other people. I've also had a very successful litigation results and I always excelled academically. What is the best way to convey this to potential employers in a short video? The best way, really, you don't need to always talk about your having overcome constant major obstacles. Uh, you can if you overcome something that is not going to make people think you're too vulnerable. It could be growing up in a difficult situation or I don't know, but you can do that. The big thing is if you've generated millions of dollars in business and done very well from an academic standpoint, you should talk about your academics on your resume. And then in a short interview, really what the law firms are most interested in for a partner level attorney is your business. That's usually going to be the first question they ask or try to get to. And then they're going to be interested in your billing rate and whether it's the same as theirs or similar and, and go there. So that is really important. Going into an interview and just saying you connect with people is something that a lot of people without business talk about. They'll say, I'm really good with I don't know, being a sounding block for associates and things like that. And that's okay, but you have to talk about that. You can also talk about your litigation result. This is something a lot of litigators will do. They will brag about how good, great results they got, even in interviews. And people like that. That's not showing vulnerability. So your ability to do that is going to be very helpful. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. And, yes, let me just see. Okay, let me just see. Okay, what steps can a lawyer take? Let me see here. What steps can individual lawyers take to prioritize their mental health and well-being while still maintaining a successful career? Great question. So the idea is you just you need to have limits and you need to have personal limits. But the first thing that I I talked about a little on the webinar is you need to find outlets for connection outside of your job and take them very seriously. So you need to find outlets and take those outlets very seriously. And what I mean by that is that your ability to have rituals, meaning rituals with your, your family, ritual and rituals with friends, rituals with religion, if you do that, all sorts of rituals that are part of your life. And 
that are almost non-negotiable. Some people and law firms have a, a ritual that they're going to spend every Friday or Friday with their family or every Saturday with their family. And they don't work on Saturdays or they have rituals where they take vacations every few months or things like that. So those rituals are very important. So if you have those rituals built in, you're often much better. Other things you can do. You can, you can do your best to set limits at what's tolerable for you of what is tolerable. So everything has its cost. And what I mean by everything has its cost is you may not want to work in a law firm, or you may want to work in a smaller law firm, or you may want to work in a different practice area, or you may want to work again in, in a different practice setting, or you might want to not want to practice at all. So you have to set things up in a way that works for you. And that's a very mature type of decision. Most people are operating on fear. And so a lot of people that don't leave that are unhappy are afraid of what else there is. And meaning they want to be able to support their family or support selves, student loans, what else? I don't know, obligations, which would be houses and obligations and all that sort of homes, et cetera. So all those things are things that many times people, they're driven out of fear. So you need to put yourself in a position where you realize that maybe what I fear, I shouldn't fear. That's one reason, by the way, where I talked about earlier today, and this is you creating these kind of lists, because what you'll find is most of the things you're actually afraid of are not threats, but you have to create a list of them over time. And then you tend to move less from the position of fear into something else. You said, are there any steps that law schools can take to take to better prepare law students for the potential mental health challenges they may face in their careers? So the problem, like I talked to you about University of Virginia, which has a great reputation of a place that that emphasizes connection as part of its DNA, which I think is true. I believe it's true. But in terms of preparing law students for better mental health challenges, I think that the problem with law schools, and it's not anything wrong with them, is they're evaluated on things like bar passage rate or how much income the average attorney makes when they come out, which means going to big firms. And then they tend to hire people that a lot of times have the most prestigious backgrounds, may have worked at big firms, meaning they're very lawyer-like. The way kind of law firm law schools work is as they should work based on what's emphasized. But they're, they are moving away from that. You have things like Yale Law School, which was the first to stop giving, it was the first to stop reporting things to US News and World Report. And then I don't know, most of the top 10 law schools other than Chicago and Virginia followed suit. And, and that's a way of saying, hey, we're interested in people that aren't necessarily going to fit into this mold of being the best students and having the high LSAT scores. We want to develop a class that's more diverse, that is people with different strengths and personalities than you may find in your typical lawyer. And therefore, we're going to create a different brand of lawyer that's not the same. So that's what's already happening. That's when you hear that's actually law schools rebelling against being expected to do and create a certain type of attorney, which is very interesting because if they all do it, then then things like the bar passage rate will change across the board. Things will happen that people will go into different careers, which will affect the average starting salaries. And a lot of this stuff, you know, can really will happen based on the, the decisions the law firms make. And this is a question. I'm not sure if I answered this already. Let me just double check. How can law firms and legal organizations create a supportive and healthy environment to mitigate the risk of depression, anxiety, and women's lives? So it would just be alternative work arrangements. I think that I talked about it. Let me just see here. 
I want to make sure this looks like something I may have answered. Okay, no, I didn't. Okay. So it's things like alternative work arrangements. It's allowing people to become partners, partners without, with lower billable hours. It's, it's things along those lines will help. And a lot of law firms are doing that. I was reading an article about, I believe, Nixon Peabody. And I don't know, and I don't know where it was, but it was in a legal publication and they had almost an associate revolt. And I don't know if it was regarding working at home or hours or something, but, and I don't know if it was a revolt, but the attorneys there were saying, they interviewed a partner and they were saying, this is what people require now. So I think that these sort of alternative arrangements are important. I think it makes firms more competitive to the extent that they have happier lawyers and less turnover. That can help. Right? Those are things, I do feel like things are going in that direction and, and will continue. I think that law firms that want to be competitive will do that. And, I, and obviously, what will happen is as law firms start offering more and more of those benefits to, to people that may help them, the depression and so forth, those law firms will be, get, better app, get better people working there and ultimately better attorneys that stay longer and, and they'll have lower, lower replacement costs for attorneys and that will help them. And so I think that all this stuff is that's a really good thing for law firms will help them. Okay, I think those are all the questions. Let me just see here. There's one question here that I'll answer that doesn't repeat the other ones. I think I've answered all the new questions. This question is, are there any new challenges that new lawyers face? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge that new lawyers face is not understanding a lot of what I've talked about today and being ruled and controlled by things they may not understand. I think that learning to become a different person and all that sort of thing, I think is probably the most unique challenge. Okay, thank you. I appreciate everyone being on this webinar today. I think it's very important. And I'm going to try to do a resume workshop either next week or the week after that, which is always a lot of fun. And, and so we will send out to everyone who's on this webinar today requests for your resume and everything very shortly. So thank you. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.